Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we discuss everything racing. Before we get into it, introduce you to the panel tonight. With me in the studio, as always, Mr. Gray Warren. Good to have you back. We missed you last week. Glad to be back. Hope everybody's Very well. Also, Richard Uden, back with us once again. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good to be back. Good good to have you back. And Seth Eggert in the house as well. Seth, uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. All right, so uh, we're gearing up for a big Eldora race, um, which by the time this show airs, um, that race will be over <laughs> since we uh, tape a day in advance. So uh, sorry we don't have a report on that for you yet, but uh, we do have uh, reports from all the racing this weekend. Uh, the uh, Cup Series was uh, out there in New Hampshire. We have yet uh, another new winner this season. Finally, Joe Gibbs Racing gets one in the win comp, Denny Hamlin. Uh, takes the win uh, once again. Kyle Busch, very strong car, um, won, won a stage in there, uh, and and didn't take home the win yet. So, uh, Gray, you get a chance to see the action from New Hampshire. I sure did. Uh, you know, you knew we'd been talking for several weeks now. And we knew Joe Gibbs Racing wasn't going to for long. You know, very very uncharacteristic uh, for the for the Gibbs team to go this deep into the season without a win, but. Uh, Denny Hamlin was able to pull off a win this weekend at New Hampshire. I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty good race. A um, uh, lot going on. Uh, of course, Martin Truex uh, won another stage as he's as he's been prone to do throughout the year. Kyle Busch, as you just mentioned, ran strong, won the second stage, and then kind of shot himself in the foot with two two uh, pit road speeding penalties. But uh, he he had a very good race car up there too, and. Uh, obviously, with you, we we don't know what would have happened had uh, had he not uh, uh, had trouble. But uh, a good run for uh, for uh, Kenseth as well. Matt Kenseth had a really good run, 
and kind of uh, that team kind of beat itself with a uh, kind of a questionable uh, call on pit road late in the race when uh, uh, they went for two tires and their competition uh, went for four. Kind of kind of strange call because. Uh, even if he'd gotten four tires, he would have still restarted. Uh, really, no worse than uh, than than uh, on the second row. So uh, that kind of a kind of a strange call there. And then uh, to finish it up for Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, Daniel Suarez had a great uh, top ten finish for for uh, for the nineteen team. So all in all, a good weekend for uh, for uh, Joe Gibbs and the Toyota camp. They uh, they seem to run strong, but. Uh, uh, I think really one of the one of the most compelling things of the race was uh, uh, Kyle Larson won the pole for the race on Friday and was found to have an illegal uh, uh, shark fin uh, on the uh, on the rear window, which uh, which negated his qualifying effort, and he had to start uh, uh, from the back of the field in 39th. But uh, and he he passed 85 cars this week, yeah, 90 80- cars at Kentucky. Right, and that's, that's and well, the, the penalties are yet to be released for the post race. Right, right? Uh, so they, <laughs> they actually they were released earlier today. And did did, did yeah. Larson sneak through? Uh, Larson did not have any penalties. Joey Logano, who we'll get back to, also did not have any penalties. The only penalties were for Swords and Kurt Busch. Both had one uh, lug nut missing. Both crew chiefs, uh, Scott Graves for Suarez and Tony Gibson for Kurt Busch, fined ten thousand dollars. No suspension. No suspension because it's uh, the first offense. Okay, for both. gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, but uh, but then but, but speaking of Kyle Larson, what an amazing run he had, starting deep in the field. I think uh, he passed thirteen cars in the first four laps, and he was already in the top ten by the competition caution at lap thirty-five, and he was in the well into the top five. Uh, by the end of the first segment, so I tell you what, it was amazing to watch uh, watch that kid knife through the field, and uh, you know, and he was closing rapidly on Denny Hamlin uh, when the race ended and uh, finished less than a second uh, behind Hamlin, but but a, but a great run for him. Also, a uh, little trouble there for uh, for Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, uh, by virtue of uh, Larson's. Uh, losing the pole, he ended up starting on the front row and actually jumped the start. Uh, he, he, he got to the start finish line before, uh, the, before the, uh, before Truex and had, was given a black flag and had to do a pass through, which relegated him back deep in the field. And he was able to recover, uh, and, and drive back up to, uh, back up to the field. Uh, he, he was running the race. In- in the top five at one point before fading to 10th. Yeah, but what, yeah. But what impressed me more was not only did he stay on the lead lap with the pass-through penalty early in the race, but he climbed by the time the competition caution waved on lap 35. He climbed from 39th all the way up to about 26th. Yeah, he did. He did a good job, too, much like uh, much like Larson did. Uh, they had two really good cars. To me, you know... Uh, Actually, it, you know, it was kind of strange. That the I, I still feel that the seventy-eight and the and the forty-two uh, through the three quarters of the race had the, had the two best cars there. Uh, the seventy-eight faded a little bit on on with with didn't I don't think the tires he got the last couple of, last couple of sets of tires really didn't uh, 
really didn't agree with that car, and, and he didn't uh, was wasn't able to show his strength. But well, uh, well there's ahead. that, and also uh, the last round of green flag pit stops before the final caution started when Truex came down for a flat tire. Right, he kind of he he kind of it was almost like he he pitted like he had to come to pit road unscheduled, but it was twenty five about twenty five to thirty laps uh, prior to uh, to what he to what he would have normally done, and that kind of set up a kind of a different scenario a little bit too. Uh, kind of got him off sequence there a little bit with uh, with the rest of the field too. So, but it made for an interesting race, um, and uh, you know I, it was good to see Hamlin. Uh, to get the win, uh, he, he'd been close, and um, and and you didn't, you knew Joe Gibbs. Those guys weren't going, wasn't going to be completely shut out for long. And uh, some of the racing, uh, primarily on Sunday, but Saturday and Sunday was also helped by the PJ one, the VHT. I mean, I heard drivers say about uh, it had to be about twenty different names for the substance that NASCAR sprayed <laughs> on the inside and outside grooves of the track. Yeah, frack the, bites. The sticky with, stuff. Flex yeah, seal. Flex seal. Yeah. Glue. Glue, uh, yeah. Then, yeah, but yeah, I said you saw it's PC1, VH, something, yeah, so. VH, uh, VH, good thing. PJ1, Clint, Bur- yeah. Clint Boyer called it peanut butter and jelly, so. Yeah, there you yeah. go, right? <laughs> Might as well, but that, that'll stick to the roof of your mouth. So, but let's but talk you had, about um, you had differing opinions on, on on what it did. Some guys were happy with it. Some guys some guys had positive views on it. Some others did not. Uh, after it wore out, uh, I thought it I thought it definitely enhanced the racing on the for the Xfinity race on Saturday. And I thought it you know pretty much did what it uh, did what it wanted because it did open up that outer groove there. Uh, so you, so cars could run. Actually, you could run the, a lot of cars. Uh, found good traction in the middle too so uh you know obviously something they'll probably look at uh going back uh next year uh, maybe in the fall because uh uh this will be the last year that uh new hampshire enjoys uh two races during the season their next show will be uh will be in the uh playoffs coming up uh and, believe in late september and in the fall instead of the Xfinity series you're going to have the truck series and right. instead of having two modified races you're going to have one modified race, I want to say one ACT Tour race, and I think one Canaan Pro race. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have the different tire compounds again as yeah. well. It'll be a busy place, yes, that's true. Did um, Did anybody see uh, Kyle Larson's comments? Um, uh, I think they got yes. published today. Uh, I know nothing that, about race cars or something along those lines. Well, no, no, the, the comment I've, I'm reading here is that he said, uh, to quote Autosport, he said, uh, the string of NASCAR penalties Ganassi um, has had has been a testament to their competitiveness. Um, it's probably the other way around there, Kyle. I, you well, know, yeah, I was going to say. He's, their uh, competitiveness kind of... is probably due to the things that are causing them to have the penalties. <laughs> But at yeah. the same time, they're not getting the same penalties that, say, Joey Logano got earlier in the season. No, and you Hampshire. Where uh, has he been since then? I mean, NASCAR even took well, a part during yeah. the race well, doesn't, wasn't, from um, his team. Seth, wasn't Kyle Larson's second place at Kentucky encumbered? It was. Right, okay, so that's just as bad as Logano, right? Well, yes no, and because, no, I mean, because he, 
It didn't it's affect not, the playoff points at right, all, right? Because he's got two. He's got two wins that that aren't encumbered. So he right, is, right, he yeah. is he is solidly in the uh, he's solidly in the playoffs. So basically, then, but but it speak it speaks to you know. To look at look at the teams that have 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 suffered the rash or the blunt or the brunt of the of the playoff penalties. They're the top. They're the top teams uh, in the sport right now. Um, you know, you, the 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 Ganassi team's been strong this year. Joe Gibbs has been strong. They don't have they don't have but one win to show for it. But they've been highly competitive every week. Uh, Penske's teams, uh, both both the two and the twenty two, have suffered. But these guys are guys. These teams are guys that that are highly competitive. That are the upper echelon of the garage area, and they are the ones that are battling week in week out for for wins. And I think that's what you see, uh, you know, with with the uh, with the uh, penalties because they are the guys that are pushing the envelope. And yeah, and, and on Logano, he, um, even before the race at New Hampshire last weekend, they were uh, NASCAR were very interested in some suspension components, and then during the race, uh, I believe he had suspension failure, uh, right. which may or may not have been linked to what NASCAR were interested in. Um, yeah, they on, did. Com- uh, they did confiscate the trailer. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, part of the repair, uh, from my understanding, uh, from what I've read and what I've been told, part of the repair that they did was tying the new trailing arm up with a zip tie. <laughs> Man, z- and z- so- zip ties yeah. are incredible. They fix a lot of stuff like that. Hey, if it wasn't for zip ties, race cars wouldn't exist. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Well, I mean that that's probably a little hyperbole there. I mean, you know, obviously they wouldn't they wouldn't tie it up. There. I know, I know. They they tied up there. I mean, they may have used it until they could get the droop limiters uh, or the chains uh, chain limiters back up on the car. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of figured when he when he had an issue there and the and the left side tire was 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 askew and completely over, you know, up up against the left fender that they had some kind of rear suspension issue probably something again they're probably pushing the envelope with parts and something broke and i'm i'm sure that's what led to the uh to the confiscation and you, and you of, can of see park. it you know if you to a certain extent know what you're looking at you'll see a lot of times um pre-race when the cars are, are, are weaving behind mm-hmm. um you know behind the pace car going to the green flag at the start of the race you can see some of the guys 78, for example, is prime. You know, they're very good at this. 42, again, very, very good at this. If you get an opportunity to have a, a, a rear shot of these cars, just look how much the left rear tyre moves inside the wheel well. Right. You've got two or three inches of lateral movement in some of those cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. that's all to artificially generate skew to help the cars turn. Um, and that's where the big push at the moment is within NASCAR. And that's where a lot of these... Um, for want of a better word, shenanigans are, uh, are, are being enforced or, you know, the aim is to increase the amount of skew in the car without losing any drive off the corner. And yeah. uh, the amount of deflection in the, uh, in the, in the um, driveline is in real. Right. And you brought up, you brought this up several weeks ago, talking about, you know, on the, on the, on the warm-up lap and on the cool-down laps, how the guys violently weave those cars back and yeah. forth. Uh, you know, on, on the on the on the pre-race uh, uh, pace laps, and then on the on the cool-down laps, uh, 
all the race trying to trying to readjust. I think it was uh, where was it Kentucky the previous week, wasn't it? There was almost uh, coming off pit road as the cars came off pit road at the start of the race and went up onto the banking. There was almost a groove in the track where uh, the cars had been slamming into the uh, into the tr- surface to uh, I guess trying to adjust something within the car. Yeah, yeah, they have figured it out at a couple of different tracks. Um, sorry, I'll let you finish, Gray. Well, no, I was going to just going to say, you know, and we, t- we this is a common topic in the shop, as Richard Wells knows. Well knows we talk about this all the time, and you know, if, if NASCAR wants, and, and to me, the fix is simple. Uh, you know, they just need to go back to to how they mounted the trailing arms uh, and the rear end housings under the cars twenty years ago. Basically, you didn't have that. It was more of a more solid. You had three holes. You had three holes on either side of the cross member where that you could that you could put the trailing arms in. You ran a you ran a, a, a rubber bushing or a single or a single monoball and ran that bolt through. The only thing you do you could use one little eccentric to maybe pull the left rear forward uh, perhaps a quarter of an inch, and then everything was was fixed to the rear end housing. You know, if NASCAR wanted to wanted to eliminate these shenanigans, they could they could essentially legislate you know, what we used to do back into the sport and eliminate it overnight. Or you, could, a, or you could leave the 1950s and uh, come into some sort of wishbone-style suspension. But that's another yep. story. Yeah, well, true, true. But, <laughs> but, you know, but, 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 you know, a lot of people don't realize the basic design of, of, of a stock car and how it's evolved over the years, still the basic design is, is, is very much antiquated when you when you compare it to, to to other to the cars on the street today, I mean you know those the, the rear end housing is as as is old nine inch Ford rear end housing and we're using Chevy pickup style uh, trailing arms uh, under the rear end and that's that's stuff technology that hadn't been used under street going uh, vehicles for for many many years. There and I actually heard talk uh, yesterday, uh, which it's a couple years down the road. But uh, making paddle shifters an option because they're becoming more and more common on streetcars. Yeah, I think they have to. I think they're becoming. I think it's becoming alienated. And you've seen that with the digital dash. Um, you know, they need to attract a new set of fans. And you know, the the word at the end of the day, it's called stock car racing. You know, right. this is you know, it is a a stock car. You know. It's as you, you know, in theory, as you can find in in the in the showroom, um, and they, you know, they they need. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Tom Standage, host of The World Ahead, the podcast from The Economist that explores the future. Over eight weekly episodes, starting on November the 28th, I'll be talking to economist journalists and special guests to get expert insights into the year ahead. We'll explore critical themes from soaring inflation and the impact of the war in Ukraine to chaos in the energy markets and China's uncertain post-pandemic path. Topics include 
Has China peaked? What does the war in Ukraine mean for the fight against climate change? How will economies cope with looming recession? Will passwords be replaced by pass keys? And just how exactly do forecasters predict the future? Join us to sharpen your foresight with the world ahead from The Economist. Start listening on your podcast app. To re-engage the funds, I think. Um, I think, I think you And maybe right. I think that the bigger, the bigger rule changes will reduce all of this sort of, un, not underhand, but, you know, playing the game. If you throw a big set of rule changes at at a tee, at the sport, then people have more to react to and there's more low-hanging fruit, for want of a better word, of rules and regulations that you can push the limit of. Whereas at the moment, there's really only two or three areas that a sport can, um, you know, the sport can, ex- can take advantage of. So that means now, basically, it's, it's a money game. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a technology, it's a race between who can spend the most money developing the illegal systems and pushing the limit of those illegal systems to the extreme. There's no easy area for teams to exploit anymore that are cheap. So by, right. by limiting the rules for such a long period of time, yes, it creates stability for the smaller teams, but the bigger teams that have money, they're going to you know, channel their uh, resources into smaller and smaller areas. And to find, you know, once you, you've achieved 90% of the optimum speed of a car, you know, Going to ninety five percent is is double what it costs to go from eighty five percent. You know, it keeps increasing in cost to find these smaller and smaller gains. Yeah, creativity has a price. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but but I, I think I think what you, I think you hit on something there, Richard, because these cars are, are calling them stock cars is a misnomer. It should be should be stock appearing. Basically, is what we have <laughs> yes. today. Stock bodywork. Yeah, and, and what it's done is is it's how the sport has had to evolve. You know, I go back to the '60s. You know, when the when a when a Torino looked like a Torino and a Dodge Charger looked like a Charger and things like that. But but as the manufacturers and, and the way the the manufacturers changed and the way they built cars, it's basically come today where all the cars, even on the even even the street cars today, almost have a common shape. It's it's yep. for for air, they're aerodynamic for fuel efficiency and things like that and and basically we've got to I think NASCAR really does need to to really kind of change some of their things of course going to the digital dash was one step I think in 2013 we went from carburetors to fuel injection uh, and and the computer on the car that was a big step for NASCAR well, because it we was a huge used, step for NASCAR yeah, yeah it huge was step and, and, and twenty the, years too late. Right, the electronic you know. fuel delivery. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, down the road, uh, you know, we're getting ready to go to composite bodies on the Xfinity cars next year. So, uh, you know, I think, I think we're going to see uh, so, some more evolution in, into what we call the stock car uh, as we go forward. And like Richard said, it probably is needed to a degree because to uh, attract uh, a, 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 a ever uh, younger fan base and just keep in mind some of the changes that we're talking about are only in the cup series the Xfinity series and truck series does not have a digital dash and they still do not have fuel injection basically and that's a cost-saving measure 
and, and to a degree for those series because obviously the purses and the TV money and the exposure aren't as great as they are in the in the Cup series. So basically, that's why you see a little bit of that going to going to, going to uh, will probably be uh, later on as you see stuff kind of reach come down or pass down from the Cup series. Uh, through the Xfinity Series to the Truck Series. So you may see some of that later. Uh, and I think one of the reasons they want to go to the composite body is is for cost savings uh, in the Xfinity Series. We'll see how that goes next year because I believe next year that's going to be enacted and it's they haven't made up their it's mind yet. three but races still, this year that they're testing. Yes, this year, yeah. Right. But next year we're talking about running it at all the races except for the Speedway races. And, and still, I don't think they've closed the book uh, on, on having it uh, in, in exclusively in all the races yet, so I, we'll have to see how that goes. I know for the beginning of the year, from what I understand, is it's, it's going to be an option similar to uh, the Canaan Pro Series and ARCA. How the past two or three years, it's been an option whether you run the composite bodies or the old steel bodies. And next year, for both of those series, it is composite only. No yeah, more steel think, for either of them. Right. And I think basically NASCAR's got to look at it because you run it, you open a can of worms when you've got half, when you're split in the field. You need to, uh, because some teams are going to have more some, more access to wind tunnels than others and, and things like that. I think basically they're going to have to say, come up with a set of rules that's common for everybody at, at the tracks from a mile and a half down and then a different set of rules with steel bodies on, on the speedways to kind of level the playing field. I, I, I don't think they need to open that can of worms where, where they go with this option. I think that'll be a disaster. I, I think the option will more than likely end up being at maybe Michigan, Pocono, Indy. Some of the tracks are kind of odd compared to the traditional schedule because I, pretty much all the 1.5 miles – and not trying to lump them all together, but they are very similar to one another. Well, they're all high down for it. They are, they're all exactly. course tracks. So yeah, you would you don't want to you don't want to put put teams at a disadvantage. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I follow you there. Well, guys, we're going to we're going to what arguably is one of the crown jewels of the of the sport uh, next week to Indianapolis. Uh, we're going. This will be the last year that is that'll be run in August next year when we return to the Brickyard. It will be the the last race in the regular season. It'll be held in in mid September or, or or the second week in September. And uh, but you know the, the I, heard, I was listening to one of the radio shows today on the way home from work and and they talked about uh, you know with with the declining fa- uh, fan attendance there has the Brickyard. Uh, lost some of its luster. Uh, this will be the 24th edition uh, of the Brickyard 400, and of course we know that they've struggled uh, to get fans there for the last couple of years. But when you when you think about it, you know for the first uh, for the first five or six years, uh, this was a very well attended race uh, in excess of over 200,000 people in some instances, um, and then uh, it, it's it's fallen off. Uh, after that, well, of course, we had the tire debacle about uh, ten I, years ago. Right, and then I, I, I think the the August date has not helped it out either. You know, it is it's you know, miserably hot. 
You talking about the July date? The July date, rather. That's what yeah, I mean. Right, yeah, the, yeah. The, the late July date. Uh, it was miserably hot there, and um, like I say, it's just it hasn't produced really compelling racing. Um, and it, it's uh, and the thing is, it probably draws a pretty good crowd uh, when you when you you know if you were to throw uh, that many people at a smaller track. Uh, but the Indianapolis Motor Speedway does have a capacity to hold four hundred thousand people. Oh, it, it, it and it and, does. and it just the place will just it'll it'll look empty. But uh, they have had some very some, they have had some very light crowds compared to uh, uh, when it first um, you know came out. But I think you know. Putting it in the putting it into the playoffs is is a step in the right direction. You know, getting into a little bit of a cooler weather uh, is a step in the right direction. You know, there there are people that have mentioned perhaps they should make it a night race. Um, you know, I don't think that the the speedway is ever going to install lighting. Um, too costly. I, I, well, yeah, too costly. I just don't see it happening. Um, but, well, uh, one one thing that they are trying this year, at least in the Xfinity series, they're testing it out a different aero package and restrictor plates. I have heard they're, that, yeah. They're going to have restrictor plates, and there's air ducts that are going to be in the front fenders to try to push air out to... It's supposed to, in theory, allow you, if you're pulling out to pass, to be able to complete the pass instead of stalling out. Mm-hmm. And one of the other uh, parts of it is to encourage more passing in general, and in turn, with the restrictor plates, as we know... What happens at most restrictor plate tracks? Pack racing. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you and, and the thing about pack racing, where we where we really see pack racing at Daytona and Talladega, you see sustained speeds. You know, you're not talking yeah. about a track where guys are going to have to get on the brakes in, in the corners and through, you know, going into the corners and stuff. So that's going to be a whole different ball of ball of wax. I don't know what it will do as far as well, you know when you really get to pack racing and they go it will i think it'll close the field up uh somewhat um but i but i don't know that it'll it'll be like you see these um these two by two packs uh you know like you see at daytona and i wrote something about two weeks ago after daytona uh whether or not restrictor plates are always the quote great equalizer that most people say they are and if you look at the last time it, a restrictor plate race was run at a flat track, which was New Hampshire in 2000, mm-hmm. Jeff Burton led every lap. Led every lap. Sure Out did. of those who started in the top 10, eight finished either where they started or within a position of where they started. Right. Only two people made their way up into the top 10 from outside the top 10. One started 26th. One started thirty second, and I listen. I was there. I participated in that race, and I know it was a, it was not a very good race. It I was, mean, it was it was like a parade. I mean, I understand race. the reasoning that NASCAR had at the time after the deaths of Adam Petty and Kenny Irwin Jr. It was a safety issue, and that was their attempt at fixing the safety issue. Yeah, and, and, and of course it was it it was a failure, uh, and it, it didn't work. But hopefully, we'll you know, I, and I give it to NASCAR for trying some, going to try something up there in, in the Xfinity races. I guess we'll just have to say the jury will be out until we till till we till we see the race. But getting back to Indy, yeah, Indy's a different animal. It's it's um, 
you, the line of sight there for for stock car racing fans is 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 not is not good. You 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 know as it is, Indy. You have to find you what you consider your optimum if you go to the race. What you want to where you want to watch, and that and that's what you're going to see during during the race. Uh, but still, it is the it has the mystique. It's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and still it is it is a highly sought prize by the drivers who, who compete who compete in that race. Um, uh, again, fan attendance is down all the way around, uh, and then again, like Frank alluded to, uh, it is not a highly competitive race. There is not a lot of passing. Uh, we'll just have to see what this the 27 2017 edition brings uh uh i hope uh we'll get uh we'll get a decent attendance i know they they estimated that the 2014 crowd was roughly about 75,000 and then of course although attendance figures for last year wasn't released uh some people said that uh it was it was less than uh than 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 the than the crowd there that they had in uh in in 2015 so uh you know, I guess now we just need to kind of make our picks uh, for for the brickyard and see what we who we think uh, will prevail there. Seth, I'll let you go first. Well, I have a funny <clears throat> feeling that because Hendrick hasn't been up there lately, I have a funny feeling Chase Elliott might break through for his first career win. That's a good pick. Get very 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 possible too. Yeah, it is. I look, I look too, you know, and, and I was thinking about this on the ride home today. A lot of people will tell you, a lot of the teams will tell you, there's a lot of similarities in in in, in, in the setups that you use at Pocono and and Indy. And of course, you know, we had uh, uh, Chase Elliott has run good uh, at Pocono uh, last year, uh, and also Ryan Blaney. You know, he he's, he's uh, won the last race at Pocono. And we go, we're going to be going back to Pocono here and, in a week or two. And, and uh, if I may, sorry for interrupting you, Greg. Go ahead. Another, another track that I've heard some teams use a similar setup at, believe it or not, is Michigan. I vividly remember when Juan Pablo Montoya made a start or two starts in the 2014 season, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was 2014 with uh, Roger Penske. He ran Michigan in preparation for Indianapolis. Yeah, and, and I imagine they could do some things like that. But but the, the main thing I allude to is the, is the is the type of corners at uh, at Pocono that that are similar. Of course, obviously, you know we all know the tale about Pocono. Pocono was actually designed more for the Indy cars uh, when it when it uh, when it was built. And also, teams will shift some. Uh, the stock car teams will shift at uh, at Indianapolis as they do at uh, at Pocono also. So that and that's something that 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 we don't do at uh, at Michigan. But uh, yeah, that's a good pick with uh, with Chase Elliott. Uh, Frank, who do you think? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's hard to really this season pick against either Kyle Larson or or uh, Martin Truex, who seemed to just week in, week out, dominate the race. So with that being said, I'll pick Jamie McMurray. Okay. Well, he's a former winner. He's a former winner there, and, and he's a, a teammate, you know, teammates at Larson there. So, uh, And, you know, the, the, those two guys, uh, Truex and uh, Larson, 
uh, who are both really doing so well this year. Um, those are two teams who have not do not have a cup championship to their credit. So that's you know that's kind of exciting when you think about it. It's almost like yep. a, a little bit of a you know changing of the guard there. You know, one of these uh, these other teams uh, you know uh, has very, a really really good shot at a championship. Either one of those guys could very well be true. Richard, who do you like? Kyle Busch. I keep saying that every week. He's got to win one of yeah, those. Yeah, you got yeah, you got to be right later. once. Yeah. Well, that's a good Martin man. And- <laughs> But he yeah. did win there, was it last year or the year before? He, he's won the last Last two. year was his last win. And uh, if he doesn't win this weekend, it will be the longest winless streak of his cup career. Right. right. Well, he's, he's never uh, gone a full calendar year. <laughs> so speaking of, speaking of Kyle Busch, you know, did we not hear the news that he's, once he wins 100 Xfinity races, he's going to retire from Xfinity? Yeah. Which at, at – his current, oh, current he, rate, uh, he's got, what, 89 wins right now? He's got, what, 89 He has 89 wins, so 11, 175 11. cup, or not cup, uh, 175 NASCAR wins overall. But I will say this. He says that, and I look back at Mark Martin, and he retired three times from the Xfinity series. That's true, yeah. yeah. But, you know, and, and like, well, just to, just amplifying what Richard's, about on Richard's pick with Kyle Busch, Kyle Busch will be going for his third consecutive Brickyard 400 win, and that's on top of, uh, you see, uh, he finished second the year before his first win, so he's on quite a roll there. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a that's a good that's a good pick, and you kind of kind of stole my pick there too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was gonna Kyle Busch. I tell you another guy, Denny Denny Hamlin has uh, <laughs> has run has run well there. Uh, he's had he's had a string of top fives. At the Brickyard, and uh, he's coming off a win at um, at uh, New Hampshire, so he's going to be tough there. But I tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I, I, I beat this horse to death a little bit, but I'm gonna say uh, maybe uh, we get uh, Ryan Blaney uh, back in uh, in Victory Lane there. That uh, he ran really good there in the Xfinity race uh, last year, had some trouble and and, and lost it to uh, to Kyle Busch. Uh, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna go with uh, the 21 Wood Brothers car uh, picking up the win. You know, and that would be absolutely sure. fitting. You know, if, if the Wood Brothers were to uh, to win that race, you know, it's always they were their 100th. And they're 100th, but but the Wood Brothers are well known as the as the the, the team from the South that was brought in to introduce fast pit, stop, pit stops to the Indianapolis 500 back back years ago with uh, Team Lotus and Jim Clark. And 19- Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 65. That is correct. correct. Me, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
wouldn't it also be very fitting for the Penske Alliance team to win the Cup race at Indy when Team Penske has yet to win the Brickyard 400? Yeah, but he's yeah. got enough Indy 500 wins to <laughs> to keep the captain happy. But but still, I'm sure I'm sure the captain that would be uh oh, that, be. that's that's that'd be a highly sought of race because I mean what he's got what 17 uh, uh, Indy 500 six, wins is that right? 16, I believe. Yeah, 16. Yeah, six, I knew 16, he's up. Yeah. I knew he's up there close, and I'm sure he would cherish a, uh, a a cup win up there as well. Absolutely, absolutely, he would. So, so all with our, that said. With that said, yeah, as long as we're talking about Roger Penske and IndyCar, let's talk about let's talk about the IndyCar race. Oh, so we saw that was a fantastic transition there. That was almost planned, wasn't it? <laughs> almost, right? <laughs> but as you know, we we didn't plan a thing tonight. So, but um, <clears throat> yeah, Roger Penske, uh, Joseph Newgarden um, took his second win of the season uh, in Toronto, um, and, and once again we saw this situation where we had um, Elio Castroneves get caught out on the yellow. Uh, when the, the the yellow came out during the round of pit stops, that kind of they got uh, Castro Nevis got caught out, bunched back in. We've got this rule that uh, you know the pits are closed uh, during the yellow, and um, so if you've already made your stop, you're good. If you got yet to make your stop, they're going to bunch the whole field. So Castro Nevis got buried in the field. New Garden took care of uh, leading the rest of the race from there. I think Elio finished eighth. Um, Scott Dixon finished 10th and maintained a three-point points lead. But the interesting thing and the conspiracy theory this week, which I do not buy into at all, is uh, that um, after, uh, right when there was the opportunity for Elio to get caught out, Tony Kanaan was the one that caused that caution, who was a teammate to Scott Dixon. Um, prior to that, Dixon and Will Power had a run-in on the opening lap uh, that, that dropped Dixon back and it put willpower out. <laughs> so now there's folks wondering, well, did Tony bring out that caution at just the opportune time to bury Castro Nevis back uh, and help Scott to maintain the points lead? Because prior to that happening, um, if, you know, if they had finished the race where they were, Castro Nevis would have had about a 35 point lead. So, um, but I can't imagine that, uh, Tony Kanaan wrecked his car on purpose to bring out a yellow, but uh, it's been said, so I, I just report what other folks have said. But um, the other big thing, Rossi on the podium. Um, really breakthrough race for him. Um, you know, his best finish since Indianapolis a year ago. Um, great run for that team. Again, they benefited from the yellow. So uh, um, you guys get a chance to see the IndyCar race at all? Uh, I did. Uh, Marco Andretti got top five as well. That Yes, yeah, was good run impressive. from Marco, yeah. So uh, that, that guy needs a little good mojo. I mean, he's uh, he's been down and out in the back of the field for a couple of years now. You know, he hasn't won a race since 2011. Um, he's uh, he takes a he takes a beating in the media week in and week out. So for him to come out of Toronto with a good weekend uh, was fantastic for him. I, I watched some. I was switching back and forth between the Cup race and 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 the IndyCar race, so I missed some of the key moments in the race. But uh, one thing I really enjoyed, I watched uh, I watched qualifying on Saturday, and qualifying if you if you watched it was really a good show and it was really compelling. Uh, you know, watched it all the way through till till they got to the fast six and uh, boy, uh, you know, you had cars going out laying down a fast lap and somebody would come out and and, and run again and 
and, and take the number one spot. But when push come to shove, Pagano just really, I mean, he ripped off some lightning laps there in, in, in the in the later rounds and, and to win the pole. But I thought the qualifying show was very good. Uh, speaking of qualifying, uh, I caught the tail end of the wreck, so I'm not entirely sure what happened. But Esteban Gutierrez, he had uh, – hard lick both in practice and in qualifying wasn't in the same corner or no i can't remember off the top of my head i didn't watch it that closely i did see the replay of, of the big wreck uh that actually he was he was actually questionable um they, they hadn't cleared him to race as of saturday evening they reevaluated him sunday morning and cleared him to race but uh he took a hard hit and again you know you gotta feel bad for the dale coin team they have lost <laughs> so many cars this year uh, due to some really hard crashes, and it's just it's making it, you know, even uh, he's just making it no fun anymore. Coin said when the season started out with so much promise, but uh, uh, you know Gutierrez for his part, uh, you know he came back, he he ran, I was he finished 14th um, after after starting dead last. Um, not a bad run for him. Another good run, James Hinchcliffe. The, the hometown boy there, you know, he's uh, raised right outside of Toronto, you know, uh, in Oakville, right south of Toronto. So very popular uh, to have Hinchcliffe on the podium. And, um, you know, speaking of, of Hinchcliffe, uh, you know, his, he's a free agent next year. And the Indy car silly season uh, is ramping up uh, with some just incredible scenarios that are that are that all hinge on does Mike Landretti move his team from Honda to Chevrolet, because Chevrolet is courting um, Michael Andretti's team. Um, Andretti has confirmed that they have been speaking with Chevrolet. You know, they're also speaking with Honda. But should the four-car Andretti team move over to Chevrolet, you're talking, well, Takuma Sato uh, will not drive a Chevrolet. He's uh, he's Honda's person. He comes with $2 million worth of Honda money and, and a break on the engine leases. Um, so you'll see... You'll probably see Takuma in the series, but at another Honda team. Um, and Rossi is the other driver who is highly favored by Honda, one of Honda's favorites. So I, I don't know if they're going to let those two drivers go, which means, you know, total change to to Andretti's driver lineup. You know, you'll see uh, Marco returning and uh, Ryan hunter Ray. But if those other two seats are up for grabs, Hinchcliffe's name is the one that keeps coming up. Hinchcliffe is a free agent next year. Um Tony Kanaan is a free agent next year. Um, uh, Elio Castroneves looks to be headed to sports cars as uh, Penske is going to scale down uh, to a three-car team, but that is not decided. That is something that uh, the team is being pretty quiet about. Um, and Castroneves would like to make it as difficult as possible uh, for them to push him over to sports car by winning the championship, uh, which is his plan because he, he'd like another at least another season in IndyCar. So th- this silly season is shaping up to be, um, you know, wholesale changes left and right. I mean, there's I've heard talk of a swap, seat swap between Takuma Sato and Charlie Kimball if the uh, if the Chevrolet to Andretti thing goes through. You know, Charlie Kimball would take his uh, uh, money that he gets from the pharmaceutical companies that sponsor him over to, uh, to Andretti's team and, Honda money with Takuma Sato would go over to Ganassi. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. But, uh, again, there's a couple of big names out there, you know, between TK and Hinchcliffe. So. And all very capable, very veteran drivers with a lot of lot, lot of equity in sports. So, yeah, 
they're going to be highly sought after. Absolutely, yeah. And then then you've got young guys doing well too. You know, Ed Jones doing really well with the coin team. Um, he might get snapped up by a bigger team. You know, there's there's only a, a very few guys I can guarantee will be in the same seat next year. You know, which would be mm-hmm. like we talked about. You know, Ryan Hunter Ray and Marco. Um, even Mar- I, don't, I don't think even Marco's seat is guaranteed, but um, he's got a pretty uh, good Dick- sh- pretty good shot at it. Dixon will be. Dixon's not going anywhere. Dixon's not going anywhere. Um, Ed, Ed Carpenter's not going anywhere. <laughs> well, you know, Ed may. Ed should um, step back as a part-time driver and allow Spencer Piggott to run the full season. Uh, in, in in my own odd little way, I believe that that is holding Piggott back from becoming a truly well-rounded um, IndyCar driver by being forced to sit out the ovals uh, so that Ed can drive the car. I mean, I, I believe either, I believe Ed should, it. Ed should enter a third car for himself and let Spencer have that. But Pickett's another name um, high on some you know some team owners' list. Mm-hmm. You know, Spencer Pickett. Yeah. You know, uh, Sebastian Bourdais. Um, in the news as well, you know, he's, he's had a couple of videos, so he's going to be back in a car in the next couple of weeks testing, and he may be back as early as Watkins Glen. You know, he talked okay. about maybe, maybe Sonoma. They had initially said, well, we won't see him until next year. Then they were talking Sonoma. Now they're talking Watkins Glen. Now they're talking he's testing in a couple of weeks, so uh, it would be good to see him back by the end of the year. It would be, and I think it would be good be, be, be good news for Dale Coyne's well, team, too. And uh, – if I may, that actually reminds me of something. Uh, we're talking about the possible return of Bourdais. In NASCAR, we had Eric Almarola back for the first time since his wreck in Kansas. Yep, sure did. Yep, he, he, he came back. So that, and, that, was, that was good as well. And he came back a week earlier than doctors predicted. So maybe it's just drivers today, they are so well in shape they're able to come back well before maybe a week maybe two maybe three uh than the early predictions state yeah we've seen that we've seen that quite a bit guys in, in racing and i think just because these race car drivers are tremendous athletes you know and and they 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 work out they they take care of their yeah. they take care of their bodies and they uh i've seen a lot of i can you know name a number of times where somebody has come back quicker than than expected or projected, you know. Uh, I recall Hinchcliffe's injury in Indy a couple of years ago. Uh, to see him, you know, as the, to the extent of the amount of of uh, blood he lost, and you know, literally he had a, a suspension component uh, come in, you know, in into one leg and then you know out his other thigh, you know, went, went right through him, and then he's back in a car good as new, and you know, and dancing to boot. <laughs> so to uh, <laughs> to to, uh, to sort of reiterate that point, if. Uh... If there's anybody out there that uh, likes a good uh, motorsport read, there's two books by uh, late Sid Watkins, who was the Formula One doctor from the, I'm going to say, late 70s through to the uh, early 2000s. There's two books he wrote, one of them, uh, Life at the Limit, and the other one uh, called Beyond the Limit. And it it, uh, highlights the medical research that he did um, on a lot of Formula One drivers in the 80s and 90s and how, from a medical term, these guys are superhuman. Yeah, uh, there was a, uh, I'm going to say it was Heinz Harald Frentzen had a crash in Montreal, probably late 90s when he was driving for Jordan. And the the, the data recording that the um, on-car uh, data logger took, when the FIA medical analysis team re-ran that data, 
Frenson should have been dead. You know, there is, they, they, they said that there is no way that a human can withstand that sort of uh, impact um, and the way the brain, you know, reacts inside the skull. Uh, he, he shouldn't have walked away from that wreck. Um, and, you know, they're both fascinating books. From a scientific point of view, there's a lot of data and there's a lot of, um, you know, medical uh, aspects to read through. But then also there's some fantastic anecdotes as well um, between uh, Sid Watkins and some of the Formula 1 drivers that he knew very well. But, you know, these guys are, you know, at times we forget just what they go through and the training and the conditioning that they go through to get to where they are. Absolutely. And, and as long as we're recommending books... Um, you know, Dr. Steve Olvey, who's uh, worked with IndyCar and the CART series prior to that, he's also got a book that's a really good read. It's called Rapid Response, and it's, uh, you know, it's about a lot of these. He goes over, you know, Zanardi's crash uh, out in Germany, uh, you mm-hmm. know, where Zanardi lost yeah. his legs, and he goes over several other of, of these, these stories. And, again, it's, it's a very good read, you know, very, a lot of really good insights in that book. And didn't, Terry yeah, uh, Trammell write, didn't Dr. Terry Trammell write a book also? He, he may have. Yep. And, I can't think of the title of it off the top of my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually do have a book that I want to mention now that we're talking about books. Um, <laughs> it, uh, one of my friends who covers NASCAR, Brock Beard, he runs Last Car, which it literally it uh, stockpiles and has the... Uh, stats on everybody who finished last in every single NASCAR race. Uh, and uh, he, an, an interesting he, project. He actually awards a last car championship in all three series. Uh, but, so, so who's the who's the champion all time in the Cup Series for last car? I just interested to know. <laughs> uh, I can tell you who the champion was for last year. Yeah, who was it for last year? Uh, let's see. Here we are. Uh, it looks like it was Matt Bandetto. Or no, wait, that's Xfinity. Uh, it is Josh Wise. Josh last Wise. But the last the book, car champion. I like it. But the, uh, book he's writing is on J.D. McDuffie. It is entitled J.D., The Life and Death of a Forgotten NASCAR Legend. Yeah, J.D. was an interesting character. He really was. And it comes out July 15th of 2018. At least that's when it's scheduled to come out. Uh, In the book, I know he interviews uh, team owner Jimmy Means, as well as a few others. Uh, And from... The last time I spoke to him, it should be an interesting book. JD was was quite a character. He was a privateer. He was an in, independent uh, independent racer. Struggled through mo- most of his career, and unfortunately, he was killed at Watkins Glen a number of years ago. But yes, uh, I think that'll be a very interesting book. I agree with you on that. I think a lot of the older fans uh, would uh, would probably enjoy reading. Uh, reading that book that uh, guys like me that that uh, saw J.D. race, uh, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and uh, and, and really appreciate the uh, job he did. Yeah, J.D. was an interesting, 
interesting character. Absolutely. I say, okay, so I see you've got the the information on that is uh, brock.lastcar.info. Um, Correct. If anybody's interested in um, the uh, the Last Car Project or the JD McDuffie book that'll be coming out next year. So, but guys, um, IndyCar is uh, off this coming weekend. Uh, we've got Mid Ohio coming up next. I will be at the racetrack for that one, and we'll I'll let you know all about that. So, but we have uh, a little bit of time left to talk about Formula One. Um, Lewis Hamilton won his home Grand Prix for was it the fifth time? Does that sound right? Yep. That's yes. time, yep. yep. So uh, to the to the delight of the British fans, um, uh, you know, great job to Lewis. Uh, started for pole, led every lap, I believe. Correct. And the, pretty much, and, yeah. And the yeah, Fer- Ferraris had some tire troubles at the end. So, uh, Richard, you got a chance to watch the Formula One race, did you not? I certainly did. Yeah, wouldn't miss oh. that one. Oh. Uh, it was. It was actually. I must admit, we were. Everybody was relieved. Lewis Hamilton actually bothered turning up for this race. So uh, <laughs> yeah, after, you know, after skipping, after his, skipping uh, after the thing no in London, show, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty poor. But on an interesting point on that side, apparently, uh, Liberty, the the new management team or the owners of Formula One. They're looking at actually running more of these events uh, throughout the year and actually making it compulsory for drivers to attend. I can't remember the numbers now, maybe three or four of these events every year. Um, and you would have to attend your home event, uh, which I think would be great. You know, the more they can get it down and get it, either the crowd involved and the general public involved, fantastic. Um, you know, that's a, that's a must. But going on to the race itself, um, as as ever with Silverstone, it's a microclimate. There was always a threat of rain uh, hanging over the event, which would have potentially spiced things up a bit. But but Lewis again pretty much dominated that race. Um, I think this year you've seen a very different Lewis Hamilton. You've seen a couple of events, um, you know, Austria and Hungary, where sorry, not not Hungary, um, Austria and Russia, where he's just not been on it. Uh, I know Austria. There was the, uh, the the penalty, I believe, for gearbox change. But you know, when he's on it, he's really on it, and there was nobody going to come anywhere close to him this week. Um, he 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 had that sort of uh, determination and uh, that will to win, and uh, and yeah, he 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 did the business, and uh, you know, he really sort of uh, imposed uh, the superiority on uh, on Ferrari, and th- that must be a bit of a concern for them. Uh, you know, heading into the next race at uh, Hungary, you may see Ferrari and Red Bull able to catch up a little bit and maybe push Mercedes a little bit closer. But a, a track like Silverstone, it was always going to be a Mercedes, uh, Mercedes race. Uh, mm. Valtteri Bottas drove fantastically to come back from uh, an eighth-place start, again due to a gearbox penalty, uh, to, to come back and, and finish second. Luck played its part there at the end with the two Ferrari cars having tyre issues uh, on the last two laps, both front-left uh, tyre failures, both, according to Pirelli, different failures. Max Verstappen probably lost a potential podium place there by uh, being called into the pits with a couple of laps to go after Red Bull saw the issues that uh, hit Ferrari. And at the time, Verstappen was had a 20, oh, probably 30-second uh, lead over the car behind, so they pitted him. Uh, as it turned out, if they hadn't pitted him, he would have got uh, got that third place uh, finish ahead of uh, Kimi Raikkonen. But first time Kimi's been on the podium at Silverstone for ten years since he last uh, since he actually won the race in two thousand and seven. So uh, no, really good race. Um, you know, again, Mercedes just dominant. You can't you can't really do anything about them. 
No, you can't. Some like like I said, when Lewis is on, and it's like Lewis is he has these kind of uh, spells where he, you know, he just looked like he's uh, just not not feeling it for a couple of weeks, and then he goes, "Oh, I need to be winning races." I remember, and then it just then he just yeah. boom, he, you know, he, and then you can't touch him; he's unstoppable. Yeah. You know, so. almost at least in the NASCAR world, the comparison was almost like a Jimmy Johnson or a Kyle Busch at yeah. times. Right, they'll yeah. just, just go on a tear, and, and, and no one can catch them. And, and another day is, you know, so... so Rich, but they, I did, so so very, some... very, very quickly. I did want to bring up one topic, uh, very, very quickly, and just to see what you guys think on it, really. And we would do, we've been debating this with a few guys at work. Penalties in Formula One for mechanical issues. Is it right? Now, in NASCAR, you can sort of get away with it because you can, you know, as you see with Kyle Larson, he can start 40th and be in the top 10 within half a dozen laps. But, you know, in, in Formula 1, you can't move through, um, you, you can't move through the field in the, say, in, the, in the same way. So is it right that, as you've seen this season with, you know, Lewis Hamilton at uh, Austria and Valtteri at uh, Silverstone, that when the team makes a, a failure or has a failure, the driver is penalised. Now, from a team's perspective, when you have a championship in the year, they're only interested in one thing. Uh, they want the Constructors' Championship. Now, from the public's perspective, 80% of the public are rooting for a specific driver, so they're only interested in the Drivers' Championship. Um, so, But within a team, prize money and bonuses are based on championship positions. So is there a way... Do you think that if you have a gearbox failure, that you know you don't have these penalties for the driver? The driver doesn't lose five places, or as McLaren are going there into like forty place grid penalties at the moment. They're changing things so regularly, but let them compete where they should be based on speed. But then, in some way, penalise the team in terms of constructors' championship points rather than the drivers. I don't know what you guys think about that. It's well, you know, we've had this thought. We haven't really, you know, just putting it yeah. out there. Yeah, you know, I like make, making the guy start last because the team had to change a gearbox. You know, that's something that's really totally out of the driver's control. And to 100%. your point, a, a Formula One race is much shorter than a NASCAR race, and it's much more difficult to pass. And if you're you're essentially just you know taking if you take you know uh, one of these guys with the ability to win the race and stick them in the back, you're, you're taking a race win out of their hands. Well, you're yeah. talking about you're talking about a two hour uh, a two hour event too. That's that, that's not as, as many miles. When you when you you know over the course of a 500 mile race, there's many many opportunities to to get back on, on a level playing field with, with the guys, even even after you suffer a suffer a penalty. I, I heard them. I heard that this this same thing discussed uh, on the broadcast Sunday morning uh, among the among the broadcasters. And they were talking about, you know, years ago, these penalties did not exist. You know, you'd have a gearbox. You just, you know, just like it is in NASCAR. You break something, you replace it, you, you, you go back. I do I do now, NASCAR has the one engine rule, you know, and, and of course, if, if uh, after qualifying or, or, or once practice starts and you have to replace the engine, you suffer the grid penalty and start, start the rear of the field. Um, it, it, you know, I think, Mechanical failures are part of the sport. I think it needs to be looked at, and they need to come back with with something a little bit different, and not have the teams or the drivers pay as steep a price for that because it's it's part of the sport. 
you know, it, it, we're, we're still talking about, you know, mechanical, mechanical things that that have a tendency to break. I know I know the reliability uh, is much better than it was many, many years ago in, in, in sport in all forms of motorsports. But still to penalize these teams. And what was it the McLaren uh, um, after after Alonzo had such a great uh, effort in, in, in qualifying uh, that he, he was, you know, didn't matter where he ended up. He was gonna. He was gonna go to the ridge. But a thirty-place grid penalty is that? Is that what they were saying? It was thirty or forty, something ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what is it? That's spread out over a couple of races. I mean, you know, that's that. I think that needs to be looked at differently. They need to come up with something uh, not as harsh. I, I, I do agree with you on that. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a very difficult. Pot, you know, do, do, you know, the, the teams. They have these rules, and these components are expensive. You know, back in the day in Formula One, you'd have three engines a weekend. You'd have a practice engine, a qualifying engine, and a race engine. And you can't live in that world these days. Yeah, it makes the same in NASCAR too. We yeah. used to do the same thing. Yeah, you, you, you know, you cannot sustain. I mean, Mercedes and Ferrari could, but you know, your likes of Williams, your Force Indies, your guys like that—they couldn't sustain that sort of cost. So, I fully agree with having engine limits and gearbox limits and whatever other part limits you want to put in place. I, I, I totally get that, and I do agree with a lot of that. But do you – it's a very difficult thing. How, how do you penalize a team? Because I believe there should be a penalty for having to change a gearbox. Do well, let, you, me throw, let me throw do, this at you. Do you halve the number of points they score? I, I don't know. Could you do it on an event-by-event event basis instead of – don't throw in something like a a uh, a thirty or forty grid thing that's going to spread out over a couple of races. If if they have an engine failure uh, in that in a, in a particular event, say they say practice uh, mm-hmm. for the event, then they they suffer suffer the grid penalty. For I that think race. that's I think that's the case now. I think they've gone. Away, they used to have. Nothing carries over is what I'm saying. It, it, yeah, it, it's, I think they, and I'm not 100% certain on this, but I believe that that is how it is now. They did used to have it carry over. So if you had a, you know, with the idea of if you were going to get a 10-place grid penalty and you knew you, were, you weren't going to qualify in the top 10, you'd just go straight to the back. And that was to encourage people to at least make an effort in qualifying. Mm-hmm. So then... If you lost eight places one week, then the next race you'd have two places to carry over. I mean, the rate that's – I'm pretty certain they don't do that because McLaren would be starting at the back every week if that was the case, unfortunately. So yeah, I think, I, I think they, they did that. away with the carryover, and it's a 30-point. Yeah. But it just – yeah, they call it 30, 30 positions, 40 positions, call it 50 positions, but you start last. Well, let me you know, ask you this, you start too. Last. Just to clarify it from my own understanding, if you if – you, blow an engine during the course of the race okay you've you've blown you've blown an engine now obviously is that is are you going to be penalized in an event down the road for having to go to another see that i see i don't agree with that you you're when you blow the engine in that race that should be you know obviously you're not going to be a classified finisher so that should be punishment enough so the, the, my understanding of the ruling is if you, um, if you complete a race and then make a change before the following weekend, this was a scenario with Valtteri in um, Austria to Silverstone. So Valtteri developed a gearbox problem 
during the Grand Prix in Austria. If they'd retired the car from the race, they could have replaced that gearbox free of charge, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. going into Silverstone. But because he was obviously, you know, being on for the win and being competitive, they kept him out there knowing that we'll finish the race, but this gearbox won't, you know, won't survive into Silverstone, so we will face a, a penalty in Silverstone. That's my understanding of what happened. Um, so, that, so that's a sealed unit. They couldn't go in and take correct. that same gear. Correct. That's, they could not go in and make repairs to that no. same and gearbox. I so again, my understanding with the gearboxes, it's consecutive races. And wow. also the ratios are locked. You can't change the ratios. So when you pick you know, the first, I don't know what it works, but the first four or five races that your gearbox has to survive, you will pick the ratios which are optimal for whichever race you want to choose in that first uh, five or six races. Um, the engine scenario, I believe, is handled differently. Now, I may be wrong, but this is my understanding of it. The engine side of it, you are allowed... The engine is broken down into four or five different components. So you've got the combustion, you've got the turbo, you've got the hybrid uh, battery, you've got the hybrid energy regeneration system, and you are allowed so many of those per year. So you could, if it's four or five per year, you could use a new engine with the first five races and not have an issue. But then you have to start recycling those engines. So right. where, the, where the issues start coming in, and as Honda are seeing at the moment, is they've been through so many engines already this year, that they're like, hey, look, we're just going to throw new engines at this now with new parts in it and you know, new reliability work just to you know, use it as an open test session, basically. Yeah, I thought the, one of the original reasons for the you know the engine limits and they they used to, the engine tokens they used to call it was to just to keep these you know the high dollar teams from just continually updating their engine. Yeah, you know they they just wanted yeah. to kind of you know put a cap on that, just kind of level the playing field a little bit. Uh, not that the playing field is level at all in Formula One, but no. um, you know I guess just to keep uh, some from getting too far away. So I, you know it's all it's all interesting and, and you know there's a lot of really different scenarios you could put there, but you know I do tend to to your original thought there that yeah we're penalizing the driver for what the team is doing, you know so and there's got to be a way to 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 leave the drivers championship intact and and just mess with the constructors number so but um you know formula one does their own thing <laughs> so uh guys we are we are kind of uh, up against the clock here um we're into our overtime which we like to call our green white checker so uh with uh where are we next in formula one going to hungary hungary in two weeks yeah and then that's two weeks, so, yeah, so they've, believe... got, they've got a week off as well right so yeah so that's the last race before the uh <laughs> summer break Right, right, the, the uh, summer vacation coming yep. up, yeah, so. All right, so let's go around the table. Uh, final thoughts from everybody before we uh, before we finish up and all go uh, try to watch our trucks in the dirt at Eldora. I'll start with you, Gray, your final thought of the week. Well, final thought of the week is, uh, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, uh, going to uh, the Brickyard 400, arguably one of the crown jewels of the sport, Uh it's highly it's it's anticipated uh, much anticipated race uh, within the series each and every year. Uh, I hope this year we can uh, we get a good show up there and uh, and it's well supported uh, well supported by the fans. I hope so too. Yeah, I mean uh, you know you know me. I, I love Indianapolis and uh, you know anything uh, you know any you know any, anything that track puts on is a is a well done big event. So Seth, what you got, buddy? 
Uh, well, in my uh, work uh, contributing for short track scene, I've been paying more attention to some of the short tracks. Uh, I want to. My final thought is a racer in Virginia, uh, Amber Balkane. I may be mispronouncing her last name, but last year she became the first Canadian woman to win a NASCAR race in the U.S. Uh, after three months out of the car, uh, she ran at Motor Mile for Lee Pulliam and won. Well, good for her. Good for her. You know, I always like the, the stories out of the smaller race team. So, um, Now, Richard, what are your final thoughts for the evening? Um, somebody for uh, you guys to sort of keep an eye on in the, uh, the single-seater world. The current leader of the uh, Formula 2 championship, which is the sort of feeder to, to Formula 1, um, Charles Leclerc, um, a young, uh, young Monegasque driver from Monaco, uh, part of the Ferrari stable, did a, uh, drove for um, Haas F1 uh, last season a couple of times. Um, but uh, this kid is, uh, he's the real deal. I think he holds, I think he's qualified on pole for every Formula 2 race this year. Won in Baku two or three days after his father passed away. Um, you know this guy is this guy's the real deal. Um, he's uh, he's going to be quick. So keep your eye on, keep your eye out for Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc, future Formula yep. One star. Yeah, I will. Uh, now, as you say, Formula Two is that what they call GP Two, or is that is correct? That, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah so that's rebranded GP Two. Same cars yeah. as same cars as GP Two. Um, they've just uh, I think it's. Uh, this year or the last two years, I think it's just this year actually, they've gone to the Formula 2 name and, okay. and they follow the Formula 1 circuit around all of the European events um, and I think they're in Bahrain as well. Interesting, yeah, I didn't realize they'd rebranded it back to Formula 2, which, uh, you know, Formula 2 has a long, long history, you know, if you recall. They did, a few years ago they had Formula 2 and GP2 at the same time. GP2 is a separate thing, Formula 2 is an FAA uh, branded thing, uh, the Formula 2 was actually a Williams-developed chassis um, and ran with Renault engines, I believe. Didn't really take off in the way that it hoped. In, you know, not many people graduated from Formula 2 through to Formula 1. The route was GP2, and eventually Formula 2 just uh, sort of uh, faded away and, and GP2 took over, and, and that is definitely the route to go now. Absolutely. Okay, well, again, uh, Leclerc, Will be the name word that uh, that I'm going to look out for when it comes to driver negotiations in the next couple of years. Um, my final thought is, Seth, you'll find this interesting, okay? Because you know how you got your little thing about whenever you buy an autographed diecast, um, the, the the driver will win within a couple of races, right? Now you're actually actually your your Elio Castro Neves uh, diecast. Elio did win this year. Uh, I guess it was within six races or seven races when you bought your diecast. But this is just an interesting thing I want to put out there. Okay, so I recently bought a Kyle Larson diecast, and then he's got penalized every race since I bought it. So <laughs> <laughs> so so I went ahead and pre-ordered a Kyle Busch. Uh, die cast <laughs> that I've got coming. Nothing against Kyle. I actually just don't have a Toyota diecast in my collection. But I just thought that was funny. Your your guys win, and and I I bought mine, and he's started from the back every week. But uh, still a fast fast well, car. So please don't go and buy any RCR diecast anytime soon. Please just, 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 <laughs> walk away from right. that. 
All right. Yes, please. All right. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, you guys have done fine staying a foul of penalties. That's for sure. You know, I don't, I don't see, uh, don't see your names on there as quite often as we do the uh, Penske and and Kyle Busch with the lug nuts and. Kyle Larson with everything from the deck lid to the brake system. So, uh, but anyway, I've had fun talking to you guys tonight. Um, and I want to thank the listeners um, for tuning in. Um, we'll talk to you again in a week. Uh, I want to thank Hoobazoo Radio Network for hosting us, guys. This is Drafting the Circuits. Good night. Enter your website. Enter your website. Enter your website. Enter your website.